welcome to Take a Seat, where we sit down with experts on a wide range of topics related to the science of human flourishing. Together, we're going to explore topics that can help us level up, give us hope, and maybe even make us feel optimistic about the future and our ability to live good lives, both individually and collectively. I'm your host, Dr. Nick Holton. I'm a coach, consultant, and speaker in the field of optimal human functioning, but I'm most passionate about science and stories that can help us create a better system of education, one that leads individuals to the greatest angels of their nature and builds stronger societies as a result. Together with the Shipley School, a global leader in educating for flourishing, we're happy to have you join us. Whether you're someone trying to build your best self or a better community, we've got something for you. So take a seat. Welcome back in, everybody. In this week's episode, we took a seat with Kristen Weber. And what a cool conversation it was. Kristen has won two U.S. national titles in cyclocross, along with medaling three times in the Masters World Championships. If you're unfamiliar with cyclocross as I was, it's a short-distance, multi-lap, off-road bike race that often involves inclement weather and horrible riding conditions. When she's not on her bike or trudging through the mud and snow while carrying it over her shoulder, she runs her own design firm, and oh, by the way, she's also a full-time mother of three. Our conversation really tapped into all three of these worlds. Kristen shared with us a lot of her history, how her parents, close friends, and early educational experiences shaped and supported her interests and enabled her to follow her passions and turn them into a successful and fulfilling life. We dove into some of the habits and behaviors that have allowed her to flourish in both business and athletics and that have helped her cultivate a synergistic lifestyle that facilitates both. Perhaps most importantly, Kristen also gave us insight into living a life that allows her to still be the kind of parent she wants to be, which I think she would say is ultimately her greatest accomplishment. So what's Kristen's secret sauce for flourishing in all three of these important life areas? A little bit of the focus on me or her self-care and a heck of a lot of support from the we, her community of close friends and family. Something I think any busy parent or top performer can relate to. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with the amazing Kristen Weber. Okay, so let's let's start with talking a little bit, you know, about I think what what brought us to you initially, which is your achievement really in the the world of athletics. So you are, uh, I believe, a two time champion in cyclocross. I'd love to hear more about that, and and for you to tell our listeners a little bit about what that is and how you ultimately came to it. I know you have a past of a lot of athletic prowess, and and maybe you just fill us in on some of that history a little bit. Sure. Yeah, the story for my cyclocross is kind of funny because I, I worked one of the jobs I got out of college. It's kind of the second big job I got was that Schwinn Cycling and Fitness in the design department. So I didn't really ride my bike. I mean, I shouldn't say that. I had gone on some major bike rides. Like I rode my bike randomly around New Zealand for 10 weeks, but I didn't really ride a bike. Like I was just like, that would be fun. And I went and did that. Well, wait, wait, wait a second. Wait, randomly around New Zealand for 10 <laughs> weeks. <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't qualify that as not really riding my bike. <laughs> In relation to how I ride now, like I literally didn't ride a bike. Like I knew really nothing about bikes then. It's so funny to go back and just be like, like, 
I just thought I would do that because it would be a nice way to see the country. And I like seriously loaded up my fly rod in a tiny little tent and a sleeping bag. And I was going to go with one of my best friends from Michigan, actually. And she had to bail out kind of last minute and I went anyway. But yeah, so I kind of, that's what actually, I think what helped me get the job at Schwinn. Because they're like, she's so, so into bikes. And I was like, not really. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So very fortuitous. Awesome. So, so that's kind of an early entry point, right? It is. And it's so funny because we've talked about this a little bit before about like these trajectory changers. And like, I think my parents thought I was crazy when I wanted to do that bike trip, which now in hindsight, I'm kind of like, yeah, I, lo- I was a little bit. But it did help me get this job at Schwinn, which turned out to be like my best work experience before going out on my own. And um, anyway, so that's kind of how I was introduced to cyclocross there. I married a guy from Schwinn and he was into cyclocross. And then after having three kids, I was like, oh, that looks really fun. You know, like I can run and I mountain bike and I'll give it a try. So he literally bought me like a $250 bike with down tube shifters, which is totally hazardous, by the way, for a cross bike, because you don't want to ever take your hands off the bars. But yeah, so I got into it. And like all of the sports I'd ever done sort of like funneled into this one sport, because it's about fast twitch. So as a soccer player, like I'm very good at fast twitch, um, kind of explosive power, which is what cycle cross is all about. And I had a mountain biking background. I'd been on the Luna Chicks mountain bike uh, team for a while. And then running, like you end up running because it's muddy and snowy. So, but yeah, I got into it and really into it. And um, I won a couple national titles and it was just a fun thing that I could do when having kids because the races were all pretty local um, and it's a short race and it's fun to be a part of that community. So it was, yeah. And so then I like really took it to another level. I've done like three world championships, master's world championships and podiumed at all of those. So, you know, I'm still got that little carrot hanging out for the worlds, um, which, you know, I'm thinking I, you want to, they do it in master segments of five years. So I'm going to try to go after that when I turn 50. So, which is in a couple of years. So amazing. Amazing. Yeah, it should be fun. And cyclocross as a sport. I mean, obviously biking on some level, but it sounds like there's an element, it's a short race. There's an element of mountain biking involved. Will you explain exactly what cyclocross is as opposed to like, yeah, it was developed by the road racing Europeans who, on the shoulder seasons of like their road season wanted to train and whatever. So it's a criterium like course. So it's a, you know, usually about um, a mile and a half a lap and you generally do like five, four to seven laps. Sometimes you do two. It just depends on how bad the conditions are, but it's always in the idea is that it's always in like the muddy snowy season. So there's a lot of bike handling involved. You have to get off and shoulder your bike upstairs and through mud. And it, it's a little bit like um, insane in some ways because you're like out there in the cold and mud, but it, it makes the fall and winter pass really quickly. And you've always had kind of a history in athletics, right? I mean, you know, the, the first time we spoke, you you just sort of nonchalantly mentioned, you know, uh, getting into, I think, Penn or maybe Yale for... Uh, squash, but then also that you ended up, you know, going to wash you for for soccer as well. So you've always kind of had the uh, the athletic genes, huh? Yeah, you know, both my parents are athletes, my brother and sister too. So we just played sports as a family growing up, and and um, yeah, and then we lived really close to Marion Cricket Club, like five minutes away, and 
my dad was a huge tennis player and then we, he taught us squash originally and then we started playing there and then I played for Shipley. I was a good squash player. You know, it wasn't necessarily my, I'm more of a team sport player, but I really loved squash and got into some good schools on that. And my parents, God bless them, let me choose to go to, you know, a school that had a good design program instead of a scholarship. But um, yeah, it was, uh, uh, athletics have been a huge part of my life. And there's, there's two things I want to kind of tap into there. One is sort of the, the, the choices that your parents allowed you to have. And, and I think some of your schooling, both in Shipley, but certainly before Shipley as well, kind of spoke to that. But you also mentioned that you ended up going into design. And now that's that's something that you do professionally, right? You own your own design firm. I believe you said you've, you've owned and, and operated that since 1999. Is that correct? That's right. Good, good memory. Yeah. So it's a weird like parallel life as a designer athlete, but it, it's comes directly from my parents. I mean, my mom's a painter, my dad's an architect, both of them played sports. So it's funny how you sort of are modeled, you know, this, but I was definitely the outlier, you know, and I I mentioned this to you before, like being, you know, when I played soccer in college, I was in design school and I always had to like go travel for soccer for different games. And people were like, what, you know, like, what are you doing? You know, it was a very, funny, but it's so ironically served me in such a beautiful way. Cause then I took this design job for a sports industry company, which really fed my love of cycling, which in turn, I did this whole like assessment of my business. And like, it was something like 75% of all my business contacts somehow came back to cycling. And I live in a very athletic environment here. And, but that's like where my networking you know, and friends and relationships were developed. And that's how I've built my business in town. So it's, you know, they have fed each other majorly. Yeah. Yeah. Just as an aside, later on in this series, we're going to be joined by Stephen Kotler, who runs the Flow Research Collective. And he's got a new book coming out in the next couple of weeks on flow. And one of the things that he talks about in the book and in, in some of the work that, you know, we do with the, the FRC clients is, is really that where our interests intersect, where they sort of overlap, is where we get a huge kind of awesome neurochemical cocktail and reward, right? Lots of dopamine, lots of norepinephrine, things of that nature. And it sounds like certainly that was the case with you with that combination of, of cycling and sports and design. And like you said, they, they really fed each other which is a cool thing. It has been the most distinct thread in my life. This, and this comes directly from my Montessori background, my parents' willingness to say, like, follow your passion, follow something you really care about, and you will be successful at that, whether it's sports or career. And, you know, I, I think it's so funny because both my siblings did something similar. My brother was always into cars and he went on to become an automotive engineer at GM and he loves his job. And my sister is a doctor and she, you know, she's just got the most incredible bedside manner of anybody I know. It's like a true calling. And, you know, there was no pressure to say like, go be a lawyer, Kristen, not a designer for sports companies, you know? So it really, um, ended up like, I love my job. I go to work and I love what I do. And, and I can say that I'm now, you know, 
25, 30 years into a career that I feel really lucky. And, you know, I was mentioning that I did had done this oral history with my dad. And I have to say that was like the hands down biggest takeaway about why he was so successful as an architect is that he literally was just passionate about what he did. So the language we sort of use in the psychological world, I think you're describing as harmonious passion, right? There's different types of passion and not all of them are particularly healthy, right? Kind of the, the other side of passion can be mania. There's a little bit of that in all sides of our family too. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you're biking around mountains and carrying bikes and in the mud right. and, and rain, I'm sure there's a little. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but harmonious passion is really what I what I think you hear is like alignment, right. right? It fits and it's self concordant with with who you are and your brother is and your sister is and your father is and and as you said and this is a good opportunity to talk about kind of the ecosystems in which we we flourish, right? You're crushing it in the world of athletics. You're crushing it in the world of business and and design. And I know the first time we spoke, you attributed it a lot of that to the environment you grew up in, to your parents specifically and friendships. Will you talk a little bit more kind of about that sort of, you know, how how your parents and the people around you were really influential? For sure. Um, you know, it's funny because my best friend, who's been my best friend for since I was three, also went all the way through Montessori school with me, sixth grade. Then we both went to Shipley. So, you know, I consider her to be like a, a um, essential wingman in my path as an artist because we both became graphic designers and, you know, she went off to New York City and did that. And I came out here and kind of like lived the sports designer world. And she lived like, you know, more of the fashion um, New York City designer world. But, you know, the, that kind of like fostering of the early passion in a peer group as well as the teachers at Shipley, honestly, like Miss Wagner and Mr. Barris, like these people helped build confidence in us as artists and designers um, in a way that is a trajectory changer. So it wasn't like, um, you know, and there's always like this element of what I give to a lot of my schools credit for is like, I've, I run a business that I am successful at because I have all these other tools besides being a designer, communication being a huge one, being able to write and read and communicate back and forth with the client are things that were fostered in the greatest way, both in my Montessori and Shipley education. So I have this like contemporary peer, but then this family model of like just major support. Like I was asking my parents, like you never pressured us to do well at school and all three kids did well and, you know, did well in college and, you know, whatever. And I think there was an underlying um, modeling going on there that I think is what all of us kind of followed. Like, you know, dig in, you can go down this road following your passion, but, you know, really give it your best. And, and that's for sports too. And so I feel like, um, you know, part of the in Montessori education is also like independent learning and a love of learning. And so that like carried through and actually Shipley in a lot of ways provided that for me because we had a lot of freedom within the context of my art career at Shipley. And I just remember feeling like, well, the sky's pretty much the limit on what I can do artistically here. And the parameters around us are just sort of holding us up, but not holding us down. So yeah, I think that 
all played into me being able to go out on my own when I left Schwinn and start my own business and being able to talk like an adult to other people. You know, artists are known as being sort of like dysfunctional business people. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I feel pretty blessed in being able to run a business and I'm not like scrambling and, you know, sometimes I forget to invoice people, but that's about the extent of it, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I think I've been very lucky in life to have some amazing teachers and mentors during, you know, that kind of integral part of my um, growth, too. So they, it sounds like, you know, teachers both, you know, in your, your Montessori education and then once you came to Shipley, they, they gave space for a lot of autonomy and choice, as did your parents. But they also really kind of helped, um, I guess, sort of support those choices through the development of skills and mastery. Right. And these 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 coincidentally are two major components of intrinsic motivation. Right. It's one thing to choose what we want to go into and be interested in. Right. But we also we also have to be good at it or right or develop these competencies yeah. in it and it sounds like that certainly was your experience and and by the way it's, it sounds like not necessarily only in in the the world of art and design right a lot of the sort of i guess supplementary skills as well yeah i think so i mean i i yes i feel very blessed and i try to facilitate that for my own kids you know not to be so i'm never heavy handed about them pursuing something like go down this road or go down, you know, because I think it's, it becomes a fruitless effort to do something, to put your own desires on your child. And so they can just flourish so much better in an environment where they're kind of supported from the bottom. And then they have the ability to like work that spectrum in whatever way they want. So. Sure. Sure. It occurs to me, you know, you're talking a little bit about your friend. You can give her a shout out, by the way, if you want. Ooh, Ashley Sargent. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> awesome. Um, you know, the, the phrase that came up to me, I don't know if you would say that this is accurate or not, but there's been some interesting stuff around what we would call kind of worthy rivals, right? And these are people who are actually like quite friendly, but there's also a slight competitive edge to it as well. And you kind of push each other and elevate each other and support each other, but you don't, you don't mind one-upping each other once in a while as well. well no, I mean, like if she got into RISD and I hadn't, I would have been pissed. <laughs> <laughs> We both got into all the schools we applied for. And ironically, neither of us ended up going to RISD, which, you know, at the time was like the best art school. But it's so funny because, yes, we, you know, we have different styles, but similar, like to the point where when we applied at Wash U, the interviewer was like, you guys are basically clones of each other. (laughs) And it was so funny because we had like such similar like experiences and grades and, you know, portfolios, they were like, okay, well, I'm not sure we want two of you, but anyway, they (laughs) they did take us. That's beautiful. But yeah, I think that's very true. And I experienced that a lot also in the, um, well, racing world. So, you know, cyclocross is individual sport and there are peers of mine who are worthy rivals for sure. Um, And one, one girl in particular here in Colorado who I've, gone back and forth a couple times trading national titles with and we've been you know battling it out for years and and we're friends and it's it's a great um healthy way to be pushed so yeah i think that's really good and healthy and whatever so yeah 
It's very necessary. We, we don't flourish in a vacuum, right? Very dependent in many ways on the people around us. Right. Um, yeah, that's wonderful. Let's talk a little bit. Um, you know, you got a lot going on, obviously. You're, you're a mother of three. You're doing cyclocross at sort of the peak level. Um, you're running your own business. You're an entrepreneur, employing people. Um, that's a lot. How do you how do you maintain, you know, we're talking about collective well-being and sort of the ecosystem. We're talking about achievement. But what about the individual well-being piece? Yeah. Is there, you know, the, the the phrase that gets thrown out a lot is sort of work-life balance. But I think you describe it more as, as synergy or integration. Well, for me, it's so synergistic because the two halves of my life, like one of them is very in front of the computer and the other is like completely outdoors. So like there's a natural synergy between those two things. Like, I'm just glad I'm not like my parallel, my opposite is like chess or something. Cause then I'd be sitting down a lot, you know? But I think for me, there's like, I've always loved the outdoors, even, you know, from being a kid and living in Haverford and running all the trails and, you know, horseback riding and stuff. So it, it is very much a, uh, it's hard for anyone to sit in front of a computer for eight hours a day. So that balance like makes me a better designer. It certainly makes me a be- better mother. Um, and, you know, so I try to find the balance through, you know, I, I'm lucky I'm my own boss. Like I'm like, if I need to go for a ride in the middle of the day, I can make that work up at night. And very much in what I do, I'm, I'm pretty isolated. Like I work and I randomly talk to clients here and there, but I don't have tons of meetings. So it's, um, I'm lucky in that regard for what I do. I don't have to interact with people necessarily to do my job so I can do it whenever I want. And that has really helped me find a very good balance. So was, was that the case when you were at Schwinn? And you weren't necessarily your own boss? Was it a little harder than No, that was not the case there, which is why I went out on my own. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the whole like, you were late, Kristen, it's 8.15 in the morning and you are late to your job. And I had been there till like three in the morning working on colors and graphics thing really was hard for me. Um, And um, yeah, because I just believe once you're an adult, like you should be able to have like some to be accountable for something, but that it's in your way. And also that's a little bit Montessori. Like I'm just going to do it on my independent way. But um, so, yeah, I mean, I love that experience because it was, you know, really a great collaboration of human beings and really creative thinkers, which I do miss being, you know, mostly by myself working, but um, yeah, I think um, I'm much more entrepreneurial, spirited than anything else so it, it suits my character yeah that makes sense the uh the the phrase or the acronym that sort of speaks that experience is a row r-o-w-e a results only work environment yeah like kind of a hey stay off my case if i'm doing what you need me to be doing let me do it in the way i need to be doing it right and as as you said i was that's going to be my next question is again that kind of speaks to some of the freedom and the autonomy and, and you've said a couple of times now, you feel that that was really a big part of your schooling. You want to go into that a little bit more and tell us how you think that that experience sort of crafted you? You know, I didn't feel overly structured at Shipley. Like, 
I felt like I could pursue the things I was passionate about in the context of the holding of the, you know, holding me up, but not. Um, so I did a lot of art and I did a lot of art history and, you know, I did a lot of writing, which is really a huge, it's turned out to be a huge part of my business um, is writing and communication. So I am so thankful for that. Um, yeah. So I think that, um, and then I sent my, kids are have gone all the way through middle school two of them have already gone through one of them is seventh grade now and he'll finish up next year but um it's been um a huge way for me and for my kids to learn the love of learning because within the context of that structure you're able to pursue things you're passionate about without sort of like these rote check marks of you know, things that have to get done. So this, you know, the environment they had and I had was like, oh, Keely, you're really into math right now. We're going to go up here and get like, you know, seventh grade math when you're in fifth grade because you've gone through these works and things like that. So, you know, I think that's been great for my kids' education. So, it, And it sounds like you apply that as kind of through your own parenting approach as oh, well. totally. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What does that look like? Well, it's interesting. You know, so I read that book, Grit, by... Um, um, Angela, Angela Duckworth. Angela yeah. Duckworth, yeah. And, you know, that so resonated with me. And, um, and I was like, yes, that's probably what it is. You know, a little bit of the idea, kind of what we were just talking about, of like having something you're passionate about. It's not just like forced on you in school. It's more of your extracurricular. But how do you take that passion for something that you have and stick with it? And, you know, and mesh those two things together to create a career or whatever. And I, um, yeah, so I'm just, I just, I bought into that big time. And, um, you know, so sometimes I've seen my kids go through times and we all have where you're like, oh, you don't want to do that anymore. Like, okay, we'll, we'll make some sort of structure. Like, let's just finish this out. You know, it's not all fun. My dad always used to say, like, you can break your business into four tiers. Like, top 25% is, like, the clients you're striving for. 50% of the time, you're, like, doing the work. And that is, like, the bread and butter of your business. And then, you know, you're kind of trying to shut out the bottom 25%. So it keeps this, like, upward-reaching um, pattern to your career, whether it's in cycling or design or whatever, you know. So... You bring up such a, I think, an important insight. So in one of our early episodes, we had on Dr. Scott Barry Kaufman, who has taught at um, Columbia and NYU and also UPenn, and, and he brought up grit. He's friends with with Dr. Duckworth. And we talked about it a little bit, and I, th I think there's a, a kind of a common misconception that grit is always either easy or always hard. And really it's, I think what you're speaking to, it's a little bit of both. If we find something we're passionate about, as you've described here, you've used passion several times, it can be a little easier to maintain that grittiness with it. But it's not all fun all of the time to pursue a passion. <laughs> no, no, don't get me wrong. It is not all fun. And I'm sure that's been the case with cyclocross, right? So how- Oh yeah, I mean, there are some hard days out there. Don't get me wrong. It's not all like rainbows and unicorns for sure. So what are your strategies when, when passion isn't enough to sort of maintain that grittiness? What are some of your strategies for being gritty? Um, 
That is a very good question. I mean, I am just, um, God, I'm like, I'm just a doer. I'm a little bit hyperactive. So I, I, I like to be doing something, you know, and I realize, and it comes from experience too. And the more I kind of move along in this life, I realize that, um, you know, a lot of, and this is so cliche, but it's so true. Like it's not really that fun just to be really good at something and go get an accolade for it. For me, it is like so, and I can speak to this in both business and cyclocross. I lost a lot of races before I won. And it only makes it sweeter to be successful when you've like put in the time. And that's the same with my business. You know, you have to put in the time. And so you're like building these blocks to move towards something. And that to me is just super satisfying. And sometimes it's like, hard work. And sometimes it's, you know, the last thing you want to do, but, um, yeah, I think, you know, having a vision for yourself, um, and where you want to land always helps me kind of work through those not so fun times. Dr. Kaufman mentioned a growth motivation. That's what it sounds like to me. You're, you're very oriented towards and motivated by growth in a lot of different ways, shape and forms. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, you know, I see it even in like my wheels turning about for my kids, like where's their growth opportunity and, you know, bearing witness to them delving into something that is that they're really enjoying and watching them come through those steps is so satisfying. It's, I just like change and I like growth and I like um, having goals and, you know, so in any environment, I think that's, um, it's just something that moves things along in a really healthy way. So how do you, how do you find the balance maybe sort of strike, um, or, or deal with the tension between being gritty and potentially taking it too far? Like there are, there are times in life to let things go or to quit things or to move in other directions. And you've talked a lot about pursuing interests and following curiosities and passions. How, what, what's your, uh, processes is, is maybe a little kind of scientific or crass, but like, how do you listen to that inner voice to kind of know what the right balance is? Well, that took me a long time. Um, and the word is no, <laughs> <laughs> no, I cannot do that. And no, I cannot do that. So what you realize, and this only comes from experience, um, cause I'm sort of like a pleaser giver personality is that you just end up spreading yourself so thin over time. And if you can't learn to sort of stand up for yourself with sort of this end goal in mind, whatever it is, and set boundaries, um, you end up just diluting the whole experience and not being really good at anything. So that is surely comes from failing a whole lot (laughs) and not really like, getting to the goal because I just did 15 other things I wasn't supposed to be doing. Jack of all trades, master of none. Yes. Yeah. And uh, you know, uh, that, you know, I heard somewhere along the lines, like you can only really be good at three things. Like, what do you want to be good at? Like, what do you want your legacy to be? And, you know, is it a great parent? Is it the, you know, doctor, you know, peer group, um, like, um, accolades? Is it, you know, whatever. And, and I think that, um, you have to kind of 
assess that. And, you know, Freud said you're not even interesting until you're like over 40. And that is so true. So, I mean, what I, what I hear is really the power of a positive no, right? No, understanding what to say no to and kind of putting up those guardrails. How, how do you help your kids do that? Some people are really good at saying no. I just happen to not be good at saying no. Um, mm. How do I teach? Well, I teach my kids things that I wish I had known a little bit earlier on, which is more self-confidence in holding yourself center and like what feels right of right of center in your body um, and saying like, it's okay to decline that, or it's okay to really push hard for this. Um, and you know, that's just comes back to being a little scattered for me my younger years. Um, and now I'm able to sort of, um, kind of reassess that boundary a little bit and that helps. So that's sort of what I'm trying to, um, give to my kids is just a little bit of like an awareness to that because I was completely unaware about what I was doing for a long time. So then, you know, in hindsight, I can say, oh yeah, I know what I was doing. I was just like spread way too thin, but now, um, yeah. So it's, you know, awareness is half the battle. So that's what I'm trying to teach them. Do you use those, those guardrails, those positive no's to kind of help yourself maintain some of that consistency and grittiness? So I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, you wake up some morning and you don't want to go get on the bike, right? You've got a race coming up, you know, you need to, but you're not feeling the motivation. You know, what, what are the things you're saying no to in that situation? Sleeping in, <laughs> you know, having a big break, whatever it might be. I mean, there, that is very true. It's sort of like you give up a little, I mean, Luckily, like my work, my bike is always like I net there's always been a few times where I'm like, I feel like this is a job. And so that is very authentic. So I feel like um, part of the, you know, I think we all have like this internal dialogue every day of priorities, or at least I do. And so in my head is sort of like hierarchically the things that can be shed off the bottom if necessary. And, you know, literally sometimes I have to write them down on like a long sticky note, but it's the same principle of like back to that 25, 50, 25. It's, it's, it's how I am emotionally every day and physically like, you know what, I have to listen to my body and today is not the day to go do a huge ride or whatever. And, you know, I have a huge work deadline and I, that's way more important than riding my bike today. So yeah, it's, that's just experience, I think. And, um, but it, it's, back to that same kind of structure in your life now, you know, you've, I'm sure you got races coming up, right? How is, how is, what's it like to be a working mother and trying to maintain sort of peak performance in, in the world of athletics? I imagine a lot of your success is due in part to kind of the, the way your family is, is structured and willing to kind of do certain things in certain ways. And, and how do you strike that balance? That, um, you know, and I think this can like be for anybody, not just somebody that's like racing bikes at the level that I am, but whether it's like a fitness goal or like, a, you know, I'm dropping 20 pounds because it's 2021 and COVID was long kind of goal. It is about not feeling guilty about owning some of your own time. And as a mother, you tend to just like give away a lot of time to other people. Like so many times I've packed everybody's stuff 
and then forgotten my jacket. You know what I mean? And that takes just practice of like being cold enough. <laughs> You're like, I will not do that anymore. So um, there's a lot of mother's guilt and I'm sure there's father's guilt in people that, you know, you feel obligated to always be looking out for somebody else. But I'll tell you what, as the healthiest parent you could possibly be is claiming some of that time for yourself. It doesn't have to be a lot of time. It's any time in whatever way you need to, whether it's meditation or, you know, going on a trip or, you know, working out or whatever. I think that um, we're, we've kind of gotten into a society that is forgetting a little bit about how important like physical health is for everything else, parenting, work. Um, so I tend to not feel guilty anymore about leaving for a bike ride. And that has helped. Um, it's self-care. Kids, yeah, it's total self-care. I know I'm way more sane to everybody I talk to if I've done that. And I want to be healthy and grow old for my kids. So that's also a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, I love the outdoors. So it's like an easy like break for me from being in front of the computer all day. You know what's good for you. Not only moving, but but being outside, right? Which has a lot of interesting associations with, with well-being as well. Oh, right? yeah, totally. A, uh, a, a previous school that I was a part of, uh, a, a Jewish school, had a wonderful line that was basically, if I'm not for myself, uh, who will be for me? And if I'm only for myself, what am I? And I think striking that balance is, is really difficult, right? It's really like, how do you pour onto somebody else's cup if your cup is empty? Exactly. Exactly. It's so, it's so spot on. And and it's funny, I see it in my own kids, too, and the things that they need to refuel, especially during this hateful online existence of school that is so abnormal. And I just am trying to facilitate in any way their requests that I know they know they need. So, like, for one child, it's playing a lot of tennis. For another child, it's going and, you know, walking with a friend. For another child the boy child, it's like, can we play seven hours of soccer today? Like, how can I facilitate this? <laughs> so, you know, and, and I think that's a little bit what my parents did for me too, just in life is like, okay, that's something you want to work towards or do let's facilitate that. So, but you're going to work at it, right? You're going to work hard at it. For sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's great. Well, let's do a couple just sort of fun questions here. Okay. A couple, couple randoms. Tell us what you're into right now. You watching anything? Reading anything? Well, of course, I just watched The Queen's Gambit with my. Oh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you haven't binged on that, you definitely should. Oh. It's so good. Oh my god. So, so that's what Doctor uh, Scott Barry Kaufman mentioned in, in really? his episode, and I, I have to tell you, my wife and I were so proud because the first time in six or seven years we we made it past midnight on New Year's, and it was strictly because we were binging the queen's gambit (laughs) (laughs) and then um what else am i into right now i mean oh i took an avalanche course so that i can go into the back country in colorado and hopefully not get caught in an avalanche an avalanche course give us a couple what are what are like the top three tips for you know not creating or avoiding an avalanche basically just don't go into the back country it's really dangerous You know, um, let's see. The biggest tip would be um, later in the season is safer. Go with people that you trust and know because they might have to save your life. And um, yeah, there, there's a, a, a theory there of 
if you're too big for your britches, you're going to get in trouble. And I think that's true in all ways in life. And that is very true for the backcountry. If you think you're too familiar with the place or too um, good and going to ski something, you're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble. So those were my big takeaways. Do you have a morning routine, an evening routine? Or are you kind of a ritual habit routine person? What do those look like? I love rituals. <laughs> that's actually a big part of, I should have said that. That's such an important part. And, you know, that even goes into my family. Oh, my gosh. Like, we have these ritualistic family vacations we've taken for 30 years. And I do feel like that is a tethering, anchor, anchoring source of our connection to each other. Um, and, yeah, so my morning ritual starts with coffee, of course. And then I'm right now, like, it's so funny to bear witness to these kids going off to online school. And one child is, like, gets up at 7.44 for, like, a 7.45 class. So, you know, <laughs> I'm, often, I'm often helping uh, make some eggs for her or something. But, and then I just, like, you know, I start work and then I usually eat later. And I try to break up the computer time. So, I'll go in for a couple hours, I'll come out. I'll go in, I'll come out. Um, so that's pretty ritualistic for me. But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, moving my body once a day is pretty important. And um, yeah, I'm actually trying to calm down a little bit and like take pause more um, to soak things in in a way that I haven't done. So having more... Um, you know, because in sleep, obviously, you're digesting so much of the, your day. And that's when your unconscious mind is doing so much processing. And I'm, I'm sort of of the mind now that like, I actually need to take some of that time during the day a little bit. Um, so yeah, and just like enjoy having my kids around because as I see them, you know, they're all almost teenagers. They're on the step out of my life program, which I don't like, but it has to happen. <laughs> so just spending time with them. And that's, that's part of the good sure, ritual. Sure. You mentioned feeling hopeful, you know, and that's, that's really kind of the, the big theme or point of, of this series is, is trying to inspire hope for both individuals to be the best selves, not, not just, you know, in terms of performance, but also in terms of just behavior and how we treat others and, and sort of being the best version of ourselves, but also hope for kind of the, the greater collective, collective flourishing. What, what exactly are you feeling hopeful about? Well, I truly in life uh, have always wanted to associate with the whole, you know, a community whole. I mean, in a Montessori school, there's so much, and even at Shipley, there's so much connection with doing something for the community. It really instilled in me a, um, like an ethos for the rest of my life about being part of a whole. So for me, you know, that looks like, well, you know, in the immediate circle is my family, you know, like I'm just hoping my parents get out of um, this, this pandemic without getting COVID. And they, they, you know, they're, they are really, they've been troopers and really locked down. So I'm, you know, I can't wait for them to be the people that they are again and so social and traveling and all that. And, you know, I mean, the bigger hole, obviously, is just to find like, um, you know, I think people need to find the happiness within themselves to go out and be part of something that's happier. And I think what we see now is a lot of unhappy people 
globbing together to be in an unhappy ball. And it's just like really unpleasant. And so, you know, my thing is to like, find what it is that makes you happy. It can be one thing, it can be 10, but this is like our life goal. And then that translates into being able to be more open to a community and um, that's contagious. So I think, you know, that's sort of, yeah. And I just think like doing things, doing nice things. Like a friend of mine just said to me today, like his favorite quality was kindness. And I'm like, you know what? That is so right on. Like, let's just try to be a little nicer to each other. And, um, and it comes back in, in, in waves and waves of good stuff to you. So well, just as as a guy who you know spends a lot of time in the world of positive psych, I just have to mention you know kindness is highly associated with happiness and meaning and things of that nature. Yeah, it's it's um, it's a really interesting area of research. If you could snap your fingers and impart maybe one skill, habit, exercise, something like that, so that more people could flourish. What do you think that skill or habit would be? It would be. (laughs) (laughs) It would simply be this sense of obligation to not allow yourself to have an hour a day to yourself. So um, employers out there, just take heed of the sanity of your population. I do feel a little bit like during COVID, people are working harder and on longer meetings and more meetings during a time when they really actually need to just go be outside for an hour more than they do on the like ninth Zoom call. So that would be my wish. And I hope that carries over when this pandemic is, you know, resolved and and, um, because so much can be done for a person's mental sanity with like an hour of time a day. So, and we're all so busy and everything moves so fast and you know, we're missing some of the goodies. Very well said. And, uh, and I think that's a good place to start wrapping up. So Kristen Weber, I think this was an awesome conversation. Uh, really enjoyed it. Are there, um, are there some places, websites, social media, where we can follow some of your cyclocross exploits? Well, um, you can see some of my work at sugardesign.com, but if you want to see a lot, a lot of bike pictures, you can go to Weber Kristen (laughs) (laughs) on Instagram and Kristen Weber on Facebook. And you will be so sick of bike pictures, but it's super fun so maybe it'll inspire you to go ride your bike some more because it's there's nothing better than a good bike ride (laughs) awesome awesome my bike's sitting down in our garage and i'm excited to do it but i also live in the city of philly so i'm going to be a little careful about that but (laughs) right that's like bike riding with fear there's like a good mixture there of like am i going to get killed by a bus or something but (laughs) and tell me the website you said sugar rush sugardesign.com oh sugar design yeah i decided not to um, go with Gustafson, which was my maiden name, because no one can say it or spell it. So, <laughs> terrific, terrific. Well, well, we'll put those in the show notes as well. And, and okay, uh, we just really thank you for the time. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been so fun to chat. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Same here. Thank you. All right. Take care. You too. Bye. Our show is produced by the Shipley School, an independent pre-K through grade 12 day school, rethinking education and daring to hope that we can in fact build a better future. I'm Nick Holton, and I'll be your guide through these conversations. Come on and join us.
I run a business that I am successful at because I have all these other tools besides being a designer, communication being a huge one, being able to write and read and communicate back and forth with the client are things that were fostered in the greatest way, both in my Montessori and Shipley education. The two halves of my life, one of them is very in front of the computer and the other is like completely outdoors. There's a natural synergy between those two things. Like that balance makes me a better designer. It certainly makes me a better mother. And the more I kind of move along in this life, I realize that it's not really that fun just to be really good at something and go get an accolade for it. I lost a lot of races before I won. And it only makes it sweeter to be successful when you've like put in the time building these blocks to move towards something. And that to me is just super satisfying. What do you want to be good at? What do you want your legacy to be? Is it a great parent? Is it the doctor, peer group, accolades? And I think that you have to kind of assess that. It is about not feeling guilty about owning some of your own time. And as a mother, you tend to just like give away a lot of time to other people. Like so many times I've packed everybody's stuff and then forgotten my jacket. 